please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Actually, let me this morning uh, pick up in chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for your for your goodness to us in, in so many ways. Um, God, uh, we thank you that you not only care for our bodies and, and our lives here upon this earth, but Lord, you, you feed our souls. You, you equip and you, you train us through your word and the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives. And I pray that you would do that this morning as your word is open and preach that you would be faithful to speak to us as your people and that God we would be a people who hear and who who love you and who love your word and value it and treasure it and and live it out by faith we thank you Lord and pray these things in your name amen well as we enter this Christmas season we obviously celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ the, the little baby in a manger who is really God coming down to earth. It shows us of God's great love for His people, providing a way for us to have a relationship with Him. Uh, despite our sin and our rebellion uh, against God, God comes to us and He provides a way through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and of course, this comes by faith as we trust in Him, trusting that God exist and, and believing him and, and what he says despite what the world says that there is no supernatural that science is all that there is to reality we don't believe that because god has revealed to us the truth in his word and so for the christian faith is very important and that's what we've seen as we've been looking at the book of hebrews this topic of faith as a matter of fact in chapters 1 through 10 uh, the writer has been talking about the object of our faith, that is Jesus. He is the object of our faith. We don't just have faith in faith. We have faith in something, in someone that is in God himself. And, and so, you know, we, we trust in Christ. But that's not always easy. And, and we've seen that demonstrated in the book of Hebrews where you have people who are wrestling, who are struggling in their faith. They're, they're being tempted to, to go back to trusting in Moses and the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and uh, looking to that for hope rather than Christ. And so um, the author reminds them how Jesus is superior to Moses, how the Old Testament is superior, or how the New Testament is superior to the Old Testament. And as we talked last week, or last time we looked at the book of Hebrews, we sort of contrasted, uh, we saw contrasted Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And how on Mount Sinai, Moses stood and he said, Do not come near to God. 
because he knew that in and of ourselves, we as fallen humanity cannot approach such a holy God because God would have no choice but in his righteous and his just wrath uh, to pour out, or uh, his righteousness to pour out his wrath upon humanity. And yet in Christ, Christ stands on Mount Zion having died for our sins and says quite the opposite. He says, come near to God. He says, come into his holy presence. Come with great confidence. Not because God has changed in some way between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But what's different is, is that Christ has paid the penalty for our sin. And not only that, but he has made us righteous. He has made us holy in himself. So that when we come to God, we are different. Not that God is different. And so we can come with great confidence and, and assurance. And so the writer of Hebrews writes to these his audience and, and he warns them at least five times, you know, uh, do not deny the faith, but trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in chapter 11 to talk about faith further. And in verse 1 he talks about the nature of faith, that it is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There, there is a, a, a solidness to the faith of a believer. You know, for a Christian, you don't have to necessarily tell people what you believe because they will see your beliefs in the way that you live your life because they are convictions. It's not just a matter of saying, well, I believe this or I believe that and then living your life however you want. There's a sense whereas for the believer, there's a solid conviction there that drives the way that we live. And then in verse 6 of chapter 11, he talks about the necessity of faith. He goes so far as to say that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without genuine faith, living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot please God. And then in verse 16, you see the, the desire of faith. For the Christian, our desire is for a better country. It's for a heavenly home. It's not for this place in which we live. We're just passing through. We're just strangers. And then he ends the chapter uh, by talking about the power of faith. But, but all those things are great. But the question that I think we need to ask ourselves is, what does faith do? What does faith look like in, in action? Uh, when we trust in Christ and his promises, our lives take on a certain characteristic. And that's what the writer talks about in Hebrews chapter 13. You might look at these two chapters and think, okay, I don't see what they have to do with one another. But it's very natural. The writer is, is showing us what faith looks like in, in action. And, and Paul understood this. If you want to turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is writing to this congregation. And I'll tell you, this struck me as I preached through Ephesians this last time. Uh, I had never seen this before, but... In Ephesians 1.15, Paul is writing to this congregation of this church that he had planted. And, and he says this to them. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In other words, he says, look, he says, I believe that you are Christians and, and so much so that, that I am giving thanks for you and the salvation in your life. And I am praying for you 
that you will stand firm and you will continue in the faith. And he says, you know why I do that? Because one, I've heard about your faith, but two, I've also seen your love toward one another. You see, he, he understands that those two ideas of faith and love are tied together. If you have faith, then what flows out of true saving faith is love for others. Uh, maybe you can express it this way, that the faith that truly trusts in Jesus is the one that must and will express itself in love towards others. Let me say that again. This, this is important that we get this. That faith that truly trusts in Jesus is one that must and will express itself in love towards others. And so I want us to, to look at this passage this morning. And first of all, I want us to notice the command he gives us in verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. Now, this is a, a very brief phrase. Okay, we, we could actually just easily just sort of glance over this real quickly and just sort of move on to the things he says. But it's so critical to pick up on what he is saying to these believers. It, it's very relevant and very practical because love is always relevant and always practical. And, and the importance of love, I think, becomes more evident to us even in our day and time as we see less and less love demonstrated in the world in which we live, right? I mean, doesn't it seem like there's much more hatred, much more selfishness, much more anger in the, in the world in which we live? I mean, you think about people who are rioting for their beliefs, uh, not even uh, 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 being cognizant or aware of other people and destroying people's livelihood, their businesses, destroying their homes, in, in the sake of their own cause. They're only thinking about themselves. Or, or politicians who seem to be squabbling over everything. And you just sometimes as a citizen want to say, Stop! Do you guys even care about the country? You guys are so busy arguing with each other. Do you not care that we go on as a country? Or, or maybe you've been on social media and, and you've seen people who make a comment and all of a sudden then somebody just rails against that person. And they're not even really addressing the statement that that person makes. They're just attacking their character. There's just such hate there. And so love is very important. But the writer tells these Christians to continue loving each other. That's important, that word continue. Because implied in that is the reality that these brothers and sisters did love each other greatly. Uh, especially when they first came to faith in Christ. And we see an example of that over in chapter 10 verses 32 through 34, where the writer is talking to these Christians and he's taking them back to when they first came to faith in Christ. And he talks about how they loved those who were suffering and, and cared for each other in profound ways, even having compassion on those who were in prison. But now, uh, many years have passed and, and the love that this writer once saw amongst these believers is, is now diminished. It's, it's weakened. It's, it's waning. And he just sees a little ember of flame of that love. And he's encouraging them once again to continue in that love. And, and this is a good reminder for, for every church. Because uh, it can happen to, to any church to see that kind of love wane. Christian love doesn't automatically happen by itself. 
It doesn't just happen because we show up on Sunday mornings for worship. We can come and worship every Sunday faithfully. You can be here every time the church doors are open and leave immediately afterwards. But that doesn't mean that we are loving and that we are caring for one another as a congregation. Brothers and sisters, love has to be something that is pursued. It has to be something that is intentional, something that is sought after in a church. If it's not sought after, it's something that easily can begin to fade away. Let me give an example of that. If you would, turn over to the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 2. Revelation, chapter 2. And, and here is a church, uh, the church of Ephesus. As I said, it was a church that was planted by the Apostle Paul. It had Timothy as a pastor. So, I mean... They had some really good men at the helm in terms of feeding them the word and, and teaching them the truth. And, uh, and now it's about 50 years after that church has been planted. And so those little kids that were in the church when it was first planted are now grandparents. Okay, and so it's been around for a while. And this is what uh, John writes, Jesus tells John to write about this church in verse 2. He said, I know your works your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Now, I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, I would love for somebody to say this about Kirk of the Plains. Okay, this is an incredible statement, and, and it shows uh, after, how after all these years, this church remains orthodox and is concerned for the gospel truth. And, and in verse 3, you see here that it talks about how they endured patiently. They were committed to the faith. It said that they had not grown weary. There evidently had been a lot of different battles that had gone on. And you look at this and you say, yes, what a solid church. But then John writes in verse 4, but, but. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. And then Jesus goes on in verse 5 to say that unless you repent of that, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. So, so here's a great biblical Orthodox church that is patient, it's enduring, it's a church that's willing to hang on and, and, and you know, even in the face of, of opposition in the world that, that hates them. And, and yet Jesus tells them that unless they repent and love, he will remove their lampstand. And the reason why is because faith, even, brothers and sisters, great faith is not pleasing to God if it's not a faith that bears the fruit of love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 2, you're, you're familiar with this, and if I have prophetic powers... And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am what? Nothing, Paul says. Galatians 5, 6, Paul says that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And so we need to understand, as I said earlier, that faith and love are inseparably linked together. The reality of your Christianity is not only what you believe, 
But what that faith is actually doing. What is the impact that your faith is having in your life? Is it moving you to love others around you? And, and if that the faith you have is true faith, then it unites you to Christ and His character will flow through you. You, you can't be united to Christ and not have His character and His desires working in your life to some degree because the work that God is doing us is so powerful that nothing can thwart that in the life of a believer. Uh, turn, if you would, with me uh, over to John's epistle, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John three ten. John uh, really takes this idea, and this is how he states it in 1 John three ten. He says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. There's only two options. There's no in-betweens. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. And he said, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so God's people are not known simply by what they believe, but, but how they love. So much so that if love is not uh, characterized, our life, then John says that we are not children of God. And I think as Reformed churches, we can mistakenly think that the measure of orthodoxy is only a righteousness and, and doctrine, but John challenges us by saying that it is also love for our brothers. Now, i got to be careful here, because I'm, I'm afraid that in even my comments, I'm creating uh, some kind of dichotomy between righteousness and love, and that's not true. Uh, the reality is, if we practice the righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ, if we, as we live in that righteousness, then love flows out of that. And that's why both of those things are necessary. It's not point one, point two, but it's really one point that, that flows out of it. And so the Bible says that the person who does not love is showing evidence that he is not of God. So no matter what we say we believe, if we do not love, then we are children of the devil. So the, the author of Hebrews commands his readers, commands us today uh, to love. And he says, this is important. It really matters. Now, what, what does that love look like? Well, he, he gives a couple of examples. First of all, he says, uh, verse 2, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. You know, it's interesting that when the author... Uh, thinks about love, the very first thing he thinks about is hospitality. Uh, it would be interesting to do a poll uh, in our congregation and to say, okay, guys, if we as a congregation um, sort of stepped it up a notch or whatever, and we really were intentional about loving each other, what, what, what's sort of like the first step? What is the first thing that we ought to give attention to, you know, in terms of expressing that love to others? I'm really doubting that most of us would answer hospitality would be the first thing. And, and yet, it's not just on the mind of this writer, but actually, uh, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Peter uh, expresses the same thing. He, he says in 1 Peter 4, 8, he said, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. In other words, make every effort to love one another. Make this an intentional uh, thing. And then he says, goes on, he says, show hospitality to one another 
without grumbling. And so here again, it's that, uh, that priority that hospitality is an expression of love. Now, why is that such a big deal for the apostles? Well, I, first of all, I think we have to think about what hospitality is. For us, if we talk about hospitality, what are we talking about? Maybe inviting some people over after church to have a meal at our house, and we spend a couple hours with them, we feed them, and we send them on their way. But that's not, I mean, and, and that's good, by the way. I encourage that more and more and more, okay? But that's not what hospitality is, at least not the way the Bible talks about it. Hospitality really means, literally, a love for strangers. It is loving strangers. It's the idea of opening your home to, to minister to others. Not just for a meal, but I mean literally opening your home and inviting others to come and to stay with you. And, and the reason why hospitality was the first thing that comes to mind when speaking of love was because hospitality was a real need at that time. You know, it was very dangerous to travel. There weren't many uh, inns for people to stay at, and sometimes they were either very expensive or they were very unsafe. And so people needed places to stay. And uh, so hospitality was an essential way of doing life. And, and people would invite strangers into their home. And, and what I mean strangers, I'm, I'm thinking, and it's, it, commentators come down on, on different points on this, you know, that they think, some think that it's strangers, but I think that they also could be just talking about Christians that you have never met before. So like, for example, itinerant preachers or missionaries. You know, you've got to remember the early church was a sending church, so they were always sending people out to tell others about Christ. But where are these preachers, or where are these missionaries going to stay? Well, they would they go into a town and they would look for a Christian family that would open their home and, and would, would house them. And so that could be an example of that. We see that in first, or third John, verse 5 through 8. But, but it could also be those who are persecuted for their faith. And they had to leave with just the clothes on their back. And they have nothing. And so they find themselves fleeing, uh, like we see in Acts chapter 8 where persecution came to Jerusalem and all these Christians left and were scattered everywhere and they needed a place to stay. It could be a new believer whose family kicked them out of the home because they began believing in Jesus, especially if it was a Jewish family. And, and so they were ostracized and they needed places to stay. Um, so, you know, we just have to understand that hospitality wasn't just having someone over for dinner, um, but it was housing somebody. It was feeding them. It was caring for their needs as, as fellow Christians. This kind of ministry really required quite a commitment and sacrifice. You know, I think it's interesting. Uh, Paul Tripp said years ago, I'm sure he, this isn't original with him, but he said gospel ministry is rarely ever convenient. He said gospel ministry is rarely ever convenient. And if I could get that into our heads, I would seek to do so. That we need to understand that. That when there is opportunity to truly love others and to minister to them in the name of Christ, rarely does it come at a convenient time. Usually you think, this couldn't be the worst time ever but to come now. But those are usually the times that God works. I think part of that is because then we do so out of love. It's not just a feeling, it's not just an emotion, but it is an act of our will to choose to love and to care for others. But if, And I think as Christians, too often we seek to make ministry convenient. We want to work it around our schedule. Uh, we want to make sure it doesn't disrupt our lifestyle too much. 
sometimes uh, you know we, we think well I can't really open my home to others it's too small or it's just not set up right or you know whatever it might be but the kind of ministry that the writer's talking about here is costly and the reason it's costly is because it's done so out of love but he, he talks not only about bringing people into your home but also for caring for those that, that are around you as well he goes on in verse 3 remember those who are in prison as though the, in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body now we're, we're not like I said only to open our homes but also to look for those nearby in need that we could minister to to appreciate this obviously we need to understand what the prisons were like in that time they, they were not nice places I mean I, I remember years ago when I was in banking uh, I used to repossess things and uh, I had this one person that seemed to uh, pay his bills just fine and then he would get behind and then I would sort of get after him and he would get caught up and and then he would get behind and there was this sort of this cycle and so one day I just said hey bud explain to me what's going on why why the cycle and he goes well he said this is my story he said you know I, I get a job I live life but eventually just the pressures of life get to be too much for me and I just can't take it so he said since I've had DUIs before I just go drinking and I go out driving and I eventually get picked up and because I had DUIs I get thrown in jail and he said, in jail, I have a bed, I have three square meals a day, there's a swimming pool, and I also have a workout place. Life's pretty good. But then I eventually get tired of being cooped up, so I act like a good prisoner, and I eventually get released. And then he goes, and then the cycle starts all over. When pressures of life get to be too much, and I go out, get drinking, and I go back in jail. Well, the, the prisons that, that Paul were in and others in biblical days were nothing like that. They didn't necessarily provide food or clothing or medicine or, or anything like that. Instead, uh, it would be up to the families or those that knew the person to come and to care for them and, and to minister to them. And so you say, well, what if somebody didn't have a family? Well, that was a problem. But for Christians, even if their family had forsaken them, they had the church. They had their, their family of God. And that's where the brothers and sisters would come in and minister to them. Um, Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy, chapter 1. 2 Timothy 1, 16. Paul was the recipient of this kind of love on, on a number of cases. I mean, we get the Philippian church, other churches cared for him. But this is a great example in 2 Timothy 1, 16. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Now, now, why? Why is he asking the Lord to grant mercy on this household? He said, For he, that is Onesiphorus, often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. In other words, he ministered to me while I was in jail, while I was in prison. And even though, you know, when you're in prison, you don't have the, the best reputation, he didn't care that his reputation might be tarnished because of his association with me. He ministered to me anyway. And he says, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. You see that? When he got to Rome, he knew Paul was there in prison somewhere. He didn't know where, and, and yet he sought after him. He could have very easily said, you know what? I know I got a brother in need. I, yeah, I don't know where he's at. Okay, if I come across him or somebody tells me, I'll go minister to him. That's not what he did. 
He intentionally sought out where the Apostle Paul was until he found them so that he could go and he could minister uh, to him. Well, we're not only to minister to those that are in prison, but also just any who are suffering. And, and what I want us to see here is, is in these examples, in these patterns that are given to us is you have people who have great need who can do nothing to meet their own need. And, and that's whom the writer is telling us to love. Now, now you might think about people in your life that, that, that are in that need and, and need to be ministered to. But you might ask yourself too, why would we go why would we go about such a ministry? I mean, like I said, ministry is oftentimes inconvenient. Uh, sometimes you, you, some people say, well, I'm not really the ministry type. In other words, my personality is not that way. I'm sort of an introvert. You know, well, it doesn't matter who we are. When we are redeemed, we are redeemed. And, and even despite our personalities or who we are, God even changes that lots of times as we step out in faith and trust in him and obey him. But he gives us a couple of reasons why we ought to minister. Obviously, the underlying reason is love. But what does love do in, a, in our hearts? Well, first of all, it brings about a sense of sympathy for other people, a sense of compassion for other people. Um, look at verse 3. He said, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Now, some want to interpret this since you are in the body as means since you are in the body of Christ. In other words, you are members with one another. So you should minister to others because they're part of your family. You know, if if I was hammering a nail in and I accidentally hit my thumb, not that that's ever happened, okay, and I hit my thumb and I've crushed it pretty badly, then I can't really use this hand. So if somebody comes to hand me something, I it's going to be hard to take that object. So what happens? Well, because this hand is a part of the body and it sees the need of this hand and realizes this hand can't do it, this hand instead reaches out and grabs the object and takes it. So some people think that that's probably what this is referring to. Um, and, and the Bible does teach that, that we are part of the body. And Paul even says when one part suffers, you know, we all suffer. And, and we are to consider those who are weaker better and stuff. So that, that is true, but I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Uh, and the reason I say that is, if you look at this verse, there's sort of some parallelisms that's going on. He said, remember those who are in prison, okay? And then he says, and those who are mistreated. I think those are sort of parallel type phrases. It's, it's in other words, people who are in need. And so when he says afterwards, remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them. In other words, you know, remember these people as if you were in prison there too, and you had this need. You know, and if you really think of it that way, it helps you to sympathize with, with what they're going through and how you might meet that need. And, and so, uh, so that's the idea with that phrase. And that's parallel with the idea of since you are also in the body. In other words, implying that since you are human, you are physical, you can understand their suffering, you ought to, to meet them. In other words, you can sort of put yourself in, in their shoes. And that's what love does. Love gives us that sense of sympathy for someone. You know, because sometimes we can look at people out in the street and we can see them and we can make judgments about them. 
you know, just from afar until we really get to talk to them and know them and, and realize maybe they're just really having a difficult time. And so we want to, to help uh, them and to love them. But also we do so not just because sympathetic, but also out of a sense of ministering to Christ. Look at verse 2. It says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And, you know, we know of a lot of stories in the Old Testament where there were those like Abraham or Lot or Gideon or even Samson's parents who, who had angels uh, come to them in the form of a human being. They thought they were human, only to find out later that they were actually angels. So what we read about in our New Testament scripture reading about the angel who came with thunder and sat on the stone that he had rolled away from the tomb of Christ, that's not always how angels show themselves here on earth. We also read of times when they show themselves such that they look human, like, like you and I. And, and so in providing food and accommodations for a stranger, one may be ministering to an angel or to a messenger of God. And the point being is that there may be more to people than what first meets the eye. But, but angel or not, uh, Jesus tells us that when we minister to others, that oftentimes that we are ministering to him. Look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Uh, this is an account of the judgment day. And Jesus divides humanity up into two groups. On the right, he has the sheep. Uh, on the left, he has the goats. And in Matthew 25, 34, we read, Then the king will say to those on his right, that is to the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous looked at him, and they're like, What? We never did that for you, Jesus. But then in verse 40, it says, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And then Jesus turns to those that are on his left, and he condemns them because they didn't minister to him. And of course, their answer is the same. When did that ever happen? And Jesus says in verse 44, uh, uh, 45, excuse me, then he will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. You see, to minister to those in need is to minister to Christ, be it angels who are messengers of God or, or those who are the least of my brethren, as he says. And so love gives us that sense of looking beyond maybe the need of the person that we have in front of us to see that it has an opportunity to show the love of Christ, that we're ministering to Christ. You know, it's interesting, um, as we come to the end of this, uh, there's two verbs that I want you to notice in verses 2 and 3. Uh, the first is in verse 2 that says, Do not neglect, do not neglect to show hospitality. Verse 3 says, Remember those in prison. Now, think about that. Do not neglect remember do not neglect remember you know it seems that the problem is is that the way that we view others uh, or view our lives and and each other uh, the difficulty is is that we oftentimes forget to love people remember 
Do not neglect. Do not neglect. Remember. It's, love is something that can wane. It's something that we can forget. And, and maybe part of the problem of that is that we forget other people because sometimes we're too wrapped up in our own lives. We think about what we need or want, what, what will make our lives maybe uh, more comfortable rather than em empathizing with the needs of others. And we don't understand that to minister to others is to minister to Christ. But if nothing else, I think at Christmas time, we have to be reminded how love came down to us. How Christ came to, down to us. Even when we were still dead in, in our sins, in our trespasses, God came to us and he showed us his love. Uh, Jesus showed us what love is. Love is simply being like him. I, I think uh, uh, maybe a way to think about this is, uh, is to think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, and think about what Paul says that love is. And to realize that's really what Jesus is. Let, let me read from 1 Corinthians 13, altering it just a little bit. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Nor is Jesus irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing. But Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Jesus never ends. Brothers and sisters, love came down at Christmas and took on flesh, not merely to be an example for us, but to set us free from self-love. I was thinking about it this week. I thought, what's the opposite of love? And I'm not sure it's hate, which is what we might typically say, but I think it's really more self-love. Because God's love is a selfless love to where we think of others. And Christ has set us free to, that we no longer have to love ourselves, but that we are free to love others. So my question is this, is what place does love for others have in our lives? How intentional is that? Is that something that we, we're seeking to pursue? If someone were to ask you this week, um, how'd your week go? Would, would part of our evaluation of how our week went be how we loved God and loved other people? As John says, by this it is evident who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Whoever does not practice the righteousness, practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Love is a, a big deal, brothers and sisters, um, when it comes to the Christian, because Christ has set us free to love. And so let us give ourselves uh, to this command, very brief, very short, but let us, let brotherly love continue in our lives. I, I was very convicted as I prepared this sermon. I probably spent as much time on my knees asking God for forgiveness and, and seeking to, to change things in my life as I did preparing the sermon. As, uh, it is a good reminder that our faith is one to be expressed in love. I, I want you to, to do me a favor. As we have our time of silence and meditation this morning, I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. And I want you to look at verses 4 through 7. 
And, and I want you to read it silently to yourself. And I want you to do what I did earlier with the name Jesus. Anytime you see love or it, I want you to put your name in there. And I want you to read that. And I want you to understand that this, is, this passage uh, tells us what we are called to be as Christians. I mean, you're also going to feel a sense of falling short of these things. But it also tells us what Jesus is like and the work that he is doing in your life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just bow our heads this morning and have a time of silent reflection. As you do that, then I'll close this in prayer. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you so much for the salvation that you have given to us and that you are working out in the lives of your children. We thank you, O oh God, that your salvation is so great and so powerful. The Lord, while our natural inclination as unregenerate uh, people is to love ourselves more than anything, that your salvation is so great that you have given us a new nature. You are working differently in our lives and in our hearts to love God and to love others as well. Lord, I pray that you would spur us on to love, that we would think much about this this week and that God you would uh, deal with those areas in our lives where maybe we're, we're unaware or we've not thought about a Lord where we have selfishly um, constructed our lives around ourselves maybe our families maybe things that are good but but not acting as, as you have called us to but Lord we also rejoice that you are already working love in us. And, and we've seen that in this body as well. And I'm so thankful, Lord, for the care that, that our brothers and sisters have shown to one another. Just pray, Lord, that we would continue in that. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen.